Well, good morning, Scarlet City Church. My name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. And I'm curious if you can think back to a childhood experience of joy and wonder. It could be seeing something beautiful in nature for the first time, or maybe a big skyline. I remember my first time seeing Chicago as a kid. And it could be, perhaps, it could be your first time going to Toys R Us. I remember the first time I went in there, it was like a kid in a candy store or a kid in a toy store, I suppose. Uh, and, and I had to live that dreadful knowledge for the rest of my life, knowing that that place just existed somewhere and I wasn't at it all the time. For me, one of my most significant first experience of being awestruck and astonished was my first time at Cedar Point. Now, if you haven't been to Cedar Point, imagine with me that you've been told this legend of uh, one of the most wonderful places on earth, a place with rides and bad food and a day of, of just fun and amusement, you know, that's why they call them amusement parks, apparently. And now you're finally tall enough, finally tall enough to ride the rides and mom's taking you. Well, I can tell you that I was utterly mesmerized. I knew what lay ahead of me that day. I knew it would be pure magic. The drive up, the walk through the parking lot, the waiting in line, that anxiety-filled first hill, the whole day, it was perfect. And you know what? There's no twist to the story. It was just a great day, a day that I still, some 25 years later, can remember many of the minute details about. And I think that something about that sense of wonder and bliss on that perfect day with my mom at Cedar Point is what has it, 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 it that, that's why it's burned into my brain, into my memory of that one of those few perfect days that we all uh, sometimes experience, especially as kids. And this morning, similarly, this morning we're going to talk about what happens when we experience true glory. When we, are in, when we are in awe of absolute power and sovereignty. So I do want to thank Emily Bench for reading uh, uh, the portions of this big section for us. This morning we're going to be covering both Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, John, the author of this letter, is... Has, has been given a vision of the spiritual realm, the reality that is going on invisible to our day-to-day -day eyes. But no, nevertheless, it is a world that is absolutely real. And in his recounting of this experience, John gives his readers uh, 2,000 years ago and us today in 2020, he gives us something that is true. He gives us a big, beautiful picture that contrasts what we normally experience in this life. And while it is wonderful, it is magnificent, it is big, do not be fooled. There is absolutely purposeful intention in what God reveals to John and in what we are given a picture of. One of those chief purposes and intentions of this passage and of this whole letter of Revelation is to give us, to give the church, to give God's people a foundational perspective on ourselves, on the world around us, and on God. So with those three categories as our guide, let's quickly summarize what's happening in these two chapters and look at three categories. Let's look at these three categories, ourselves, the world, and God, and let us understand what encouragement we are able to take from these colorful and enigmatic chapters. 
So what's happening here narratively? What's happening in Revelation 4 and 5? John is called up by the Lord to receive a vision, a revelation. He, uh, he witnesses this vision of heaven. There's a great throne from which great booms of light and sound come. On this throne sits this, this great ruler in splendid color and honor. Surrounding the throne are 24 elders in smaller thrones dressed in white, and there are Seven lamps blazing before the throne, a sea of glass as clear as crystal before the throne. And there are four creatures that resemble uh, uh, people and animals that are covered in wings and eyes, and they surround the throne, and they sing and worship the Lord, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And throwing down their crowns at the throne, the elders said, You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for you are the creator, and through you all things were created and have their life. And there was a scroll, a scroll sealed with seven seals, which no one can open except for one, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who resembles not a lion, but a slain lamb. And he stands in the center of the throne. And all those who were there, the angels, the elders, the creatures, they worshipped him in word and in song. They said, you are worthy to take the scroll. You have made God's people a kingdom and priests. And everything in all of creation, in all of the earth, in the earth, on the earth, under the earth, over the earth, in the sea, every, everything cries out to God saying, praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever to the Lamb. That's what we've got going here in these two chapters. And of course, I wasn't able to get to every single detail, but that's an overview of what we're looking at this morning. And what we have here, what we have in these passages is an unveiling. It is the ultimate reveal, a look behind the curtain, a show of power and glory. There is a throne which a ruler of all creation and existence sits. He is great. He is wonderful. He is triumphant. He is powerful. He is strong. He is beautiful. He is colorful. This ruling lion, however, is also like a lamb slain for the sake and the safety and the security of his people. Many have dug themselves uh, in by trying to use Revelation to predict the future or to sequence some kind of, uh, 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 some, some way how the end times is going to play out, the events, the details, etc. And we'll not be doing that this morning, I apologize, but rather I want us to consider this morning what is the meaning of, for us, what is the meaning for us in this colossal descriptive revelation and vision that John has. So let's look at this passage, like we said, with the three lenses, ourselves, the world, and God, and how foundationally encouraging it is when we dwell on this particular picture of power. And that's right, say that five times fast, a particular picture of power. So let's begin with ourselves. Let's begin by looking inwardly. So what we have here is 24 elders. We, we see the picture of the 24 elders and, and many scholars believe that they could potentially represent the church. Uh, uh, and you know what? Even if they don't, even if they don't directly represent the church, the nature of their worship in this passage can be prototypical for us. It invites us to similar praise. 
You can see that they're surrounding the throne. They look to the one who is sitting on the throne for guidance. They offer their words and songs in worship. And even more than their words, they act, right? They act in, in giving their minimal amounts of glory to God. They cast down their own crowns before the throne in an act of subordination. This is an act of subordination not dissimilar to that of conquered rulers. Conquered rulers would potentially uh, uh, place his or her crown at the feet of a conquering king if they've been defeated. But this, however, this is different. This is not defeated subordination. This is not self-hate. This is not shame. This is not low self-esteem by which they give their praise and their glory and their crowns in worship of the Lord. In contrast, they actually seem to do it in awe and wonder of God. They understand that God is the author and purpose of their existence. They embrace the created order. And that is the encouragement that we have this morning in this passage for ourselves today. We are called, we are encouraged to embrace the created order. In this passage, no matter who the characters are, what do we notice? Everyone that isn't God, everyone that isn't God, everyone that isn't the Lord, they fall down and they worship Him. Every single character in this passage. And in fact, everyone in the entire Bible. Whenever somebody is in the presence of the Lord, they do not, excuse me, they marvel at His power and strength. So, therefore, principally, right, if you are not God, which... I'm going to go ahead and assume that if you're hearing this, that you are not God. If you are not God, then a significant reason why you exist is to worship and experience and enjoy God. Full stop. Worship and experience and enjoy God. If you are a person living in this world, one of the reasons that you exist is one of the reasons that you were given life is to experience God in relationship, in respect, in joy, in suffering. One of the chief reasons we exist is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, as one of the many hundreds, year, hundreds of years old confessions puts it. Now, embracing the created order means realizing and arranging our lives in such a way that we actually lean into what is true, what is actually happening, this picture of God on the throne. God is on the throne. He is in charge. He is powerful. He is mighty. He is strong beyond measure. And that is happening right now. Just because the word reading in the book of Revelation doesn't mean that we are automatically going to put everything into a future mindset. Oh, everything that happens in Revelation, that's only talking about what's predicting what's going to happen at the end of the world. That is not true. God is on the throne right now. John is seeing something that was true right then. And instead of being sad or discouraged, it's actually wonderful news. All the more reason to be thankful and grateful and worshipful and joyful because the one who presides over all creation, all persons, every bug, every plant, every molecule, every atom, that God, that powerful God loves us. He cares for us. He sacrificed himself for us. He gives us power and standing and identity. This God wants to know us. 
He wants to care for us. He wants to be with us. And what could be better than that? What could be better than us falling in line with and for and to a God who is completely all-powerful and at the same time compassionate and kind? Think of those repercussions for us. If we were to take this to heart on a deeply foundational level, what would it mean for how you view yourself? How would I view myself? How would we view ourselves as people who are chosen and called by God himself? He calls us. He calls you personally. He knows you by name. He knows every thought and feeling that you have and still says that it's worth his time and effort. It's beautiful. And it's our first encouragement from this passage this morning. We are to embrace the created order. Finding peace in it, finding satisfaction in knowing that this powerful creator and ruler chose us, chose us to be part of his family, to be integral citizens in his new kingdom. So let's embrace it. Now using our second lens, what encouragement is in this passage that affects the way that we view the world around us? Readers in the first century had a formidable and commanding visual representation of power because they lived under the authority and power of the Roman Empire. It was all around them, right? Roman soldiers occupying uh, uh, distant lands, foreign governors and, and viceroys enforcing Roman rule, towns, armies completely wiped out, religious and cultural persecution. In fact, the Roman emperor himself commanded that he would be worshipped as a god, worshipped like God himself. They were the most advanced and dominant entity in the entire world. And what God gave to those readers, gave to the original recipients of this letter some 2,000 years ago through John's revelation, is an, in, it's an even greater, even bigger, even more wonderful picture of power. It's a picture of God's kingdom, his rule, his power, his authority. It's, it's a heavenly reminder of who is in charge, who sits on the true, real throne of authority. That is the encouragement about the world that we can see here in this vision this morning. We are encouraged to recognize systems of power. Here we see that God is in charge, period. If this world were a system that we fall into in some part or another, over and above that system is God. God is the final decider, the final actor. All of creation will culminate and converge on God. It is inescapable. It is inevitable. Nothing happens on this earth without the permission of he who sits on that throne. And we can be certain that no matter what, God will have the final word on creation. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is this. What is the thing that we commit our loyalties to? What system of power do we rely on, or should I even say put our faith in? What system of power do we put our faith in? 
Does the thing that you worship or love or ascribe to or are, or, or are a part of, it, 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 will that thing last? Is that thing truly powerful? Is it truly great? The simple question of will it last? Will America last? Will your marriage last? Will your job security last? Will your financial situation last? Will your very life last? None of these things can last forever. Does the power that you cling to, does it protect you? Does it follow and uh, 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 does the power that you follow, does it support you? Does it last? Does it have the authority to accomplish everything that it promises? Think of mighty Rome. Think of Greece. Think of Egypt. Think of Genghis Khan. Think of the invention of airplanes, of the radio, of color televisions. Think of the rise and fall of Facebook, of, of sports franchises, of political movements, of social revolutions. And this isn't, a, this isn't a, is it good, is it bad conversation. I'm simply asking, will these things last? Will it accomplish all that it sets out to do? The answer is ultimately no. Countries will rise and fall. Technology and, 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 and companies will rise and fall. Leaders and movements and buildings and even nature itself will change and shift and remain unpredictable. This is the world around us. And it's not, it, it, it's not like uh, uh, around us we can separate ourselves from it. We can't separate ourselves from the world that we live in. We're part of it. We're ultimately woven in to this worldview. It's natural for us. We want to be a part of a group. We want to be part of a family. We want to win. We hopefully, perhaps, even want some good to be done in this world even if we disagree on the methodology of it getting done. At the end of the day, these things, they pale in comparison to God himself. These systems are weak. They are flawed. They are inevitably going to fade away. So much of what happens in this world is about grabbing for power and influence, more money, more reach, more influence, more support, more change, more authority. Yet still they inevitably fail to convey to us the security and safety and acceptance and belonging that we truly desire and need. Many of these systems are grabs for power structures that benefit those who are at the top over and over again, leading to corruption and selfishness. But the power that we see here, the power that we see in this vision is incomparable. It beats out anything and everything that we can imagine. There is nothing, there is nothing that can outwit, can outlast, can outplay God's powerful authority. He was and is and is to come. He lives forever. He sits on the throne forever. He is worshipped forever. He created all things, formed all things, and all things find their existence in him. And when we raise our earthly powers and influences and, and structures and systems above God, even if it's just in our own hearts and minds, then we utterly miss what our whole lives are about. So we are encouraged here this morning to recognize systems of power and where 
that power lies, where that authority lies. Ultimately, we know that it lies with God because God's power and authority rightly dominate any other power or influence. Now, we may take hope in this vision as we witness the awesome power and authority of Jesus, but what he does with that power, what he does with his authority, it subverts what we think and what we understand in this world to be power. And that brings us to our final piece to look at in this passage, which is God himself. What encouragement can we take from this vision about who God is? It's great that he's all-powerful. It's great that he shows his power to be better and greater than anything else in this world. It's great that we get to be part of it. We get to be on the winning team. But is it worth it? Is it good? Will it work out for us? It seems a little selfish, but I'll be honest. I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to throw my life at something that I don't think is going to be worth it. If God wants our whole selves, can he be trusted? Can he be trusted to wield the power and authority that he has? We see in chapter 5 that the only one who is worthy to open the scroll, which Pastor Jay will cover more next week, but the only one who is worthy to open the scroll is Jesus. And what John sees is something that is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah, but resembles that of a bloody slain lamb. This is the form that Jesus takes. And not only that, but he stands on the Lord's throne of authority, revealing that he himself is God and holds the same authority. And he has chosen to reveal himself to us like that of a lamb in this vision. And friends, I'm here to tell you that that's not really what conquering kings do. They don't act humble. They don't come softly or gently. Power and tenderness don't regularly mix. Nor, perhaps, does victory and death, authority and humility, exaltation and crucifixion. Yet still, Jesus over and over again reveals himself to us as the subversive, authoritative warrior of love and justice and grace and peace. So our final foundational encouragement is to worship God for who he really is. Worship the real God. Worship the true Christ. Jesus here is a beautiful picture of humble divine authority. And this isn't the only passage that conveys it, of course. We always want to allow the Bible to be the first thing we use to interpret the Bible, but we often get this all twisted. What we see is a lamb in the place of power that a lion might normally reside in. We see a different definition of power and authority, one that uses said strength for protecting the weak. One that uses strength for opposing injustice, for rescuing and freeing the enslaved, for 
giving freedom and protection and blessing to any and all who would simply believe in his divine power. And if that's not who we worship, if we're worshiping someone else, if we're uh, uh, worshiping or even potentially running away from some other description of God, maybe a God who's authoritarian instead of authoritative, one who is uh, perhaps indifferent to our pain instead of compassionate, one who is uh, uh, just around the corner waiting for you to trip up, waiting for you to fail so that he can send you some kind of punishment instead of being gracious and loving, a God who doesn't care about the state of humanity, the suffering that we're experiencing, uh, uh, in, instead of willingly entering into it to redeem it, if that's the God that you're worshiping, then it's not the same one from the Bible. It's not the same one from this vision. Y'all, we have, we absolutely have, 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 we absolutely have to worship God who he actually is, not our perception of him and not what someone else claims for him to be. And that includes me. Test everything that your pastors say. Test everything. Search it out yourself. I'm telling you, I, I, you know, you can trust me. Believe me, right? I want you to trust me. I don't have secret motives here. But you should investigate it yourself. And guess what happens when we do it? Guess what happens when we worship God for who he actually is, when we see him for who he truly is? What happens when Jesus is really with us and we're really with him? What is it? It's flourishing. We talk about that word all the time around here. I'm sure that you're potentially annoyed about it, but it's flourishing. Shame is replaced with security. The pressure you feel to perform and earn God's love, it's replaced by personal freedom and joyful service. When we see him for who he really is, then our lives truly begin to change. When we look at him and we worship him and we spend time in his word and we spend time encouraging one another or praying or serving those in need or just dwelling on his goodness, thinking about the gospel message. When we do those things, it's great. We get to experience him. We get to enjoy him. We get to experience the blessing of having faith and being in relationship with this all-powerful and all-present loving God. And I'm being so serious right now. If, if, if we aren't doing those things, if we're not looking to God in faith, then I'm not sure what you're going to find in Christ. If these aren't the things that you're looking for, flourishing, freedom, joy, you're not going to find them in Christ. If you're looking for a, a perfect moral system to follow, you won't be able to keep this one because it calls for perfection. If you're looking for power and authority, unfortunately, most of it resides in Christ himself. If you're looking to earn a reward for excellent performance, I also regret to inform you that the rewards, the rewards are 100% free. They cannot be earned, only freely received. The true God that we see here in this passage, he wants to be in relationship with you. 
And everything else follows after that. Everything follows out of being in relationship with God. And before you start thinking, you know, no, I don't want to bring God in yet. Like, I need some time. I need to clean stuff up a little bit. I want to tell you, no, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. God takes all. God takes all comers, regardless of who you are, where you're from, what you did, as long as you love him. And yes, that was a Backstreet Boys reference. Think about it like this. You know that you aren't going uh, 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 you aren't going to Cedar Point at six or seven years old in the middle of a perfect day with your mom. What are you going to do? You're not, I'll tell you what you're not going to do. What you're not fit to do is start complaining to your mom that you have to go to bed at 9 p.m. and how much that sucks. One of the things you're not going to do is talk about how frustrated you are that she won't let you watch MTV. Why? Why aren't you going to say those things? Because you're too distracted with the wonderful experience of Cedar Point. And you know what? When we are with God, when we are experiencing his goodness, when we are dwelling on that beauty and that undeserved mercy we find in Christ, we aren't going to be distracted either by the smaller, lesser things begging and crying out for our attention. I'm not saying that, we're, that we won't sin again. I'm not saying that we won't constantly be, be, be dogged by challenges and frustrations and disappointments and failures. It's still 2020. We will. But the more present that we are with God, this God, the God who tells us who he is plainly in his word, the more that we experience his flourishing in our lives lives. Friends, God is on the throne. Jesus, the lion and the lamb, is on the throne of all power and authority. And when we see him, when we see his power, his glory, we cannot be unchanged. God shifts our understanding and our experience of ourselves, of the world around us, and our experience of him. And it is my great desire that we all continue to seek him and experience lives of flourishing. I want that for myself. I want that for my friends, for my family, for our community, for our world. Because God is the giver of life. And ultimately, he is responsible for our faith. He's the chief actor, author, and perfecter of our faith. So let's seek him together. Let us seek the powerful and mighty king of all creation who calls us to follow him. When we do, we get to participate in his divine plan of redemption. Amen? I say amen. I want to end our time this morning by giving just a short update on myself and our family. Uh, after a few months of prayer and consideration and conversation with friends and leaders here at the church, uh, I've decided to transition out of my role as pastor here at the church. Um, the past three years, I, I, I have to say, have been just an absolutely wonderful experience for me and our family. We're extremely grateful uh, for the hospitality and the acceptance and just the, 
the opportunity to do ministry and to live uh, side by side with everyone from this church and this community. Uh, and after, uh, after some really good and thoughtful conversations with Ashley over the past few months, we've decided to do a little bit of a swap. So she will actually be working uh, now full time uh, and I will be going home to be with the kids uh, as she has been uh, for the past few years. So I will be uh, the primary uh, caretaker uh, at the house uh, most days. So we're both really excited about this opportunity. We're really uh, excited to experience new things as well as uh, uh, to face the challenges that we know lie ahead. Ashley has been really excited to get back into the workforce. Um, uh, she's been, yeah, at home with the kids for the last six years, and we've really prioritized my career and my uh, uh, schooling and things like that over that time. So I, um, I definitely think it's, uh, it's right time and, and good timing for her to do that, and I am uh, more than happy to make sure that we are able to make that happen. So uh, over the last six or nine months as well, I, uh, I want to share that I've been just really considering and thinking about what it means to be a pastor and what kind of pastoring I want to do. Um, I think a, a few weeks ago in a sermon, I, 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 talked, I used an illustration uh, from a biology class uh, from when I was a freshman in college, and, and I joked, or, or I illustrated, I was trying to use this illustration to show that I feel like this year has been a time of, of isolation and magnification, you know, something you do in science class. And, and I feel like as, as, as isolation has happened, uh, there has also been magnification, an opportunity to search what's going on in my heart and what's happening, for, uh, happening with our family and, and what do we want, what is God calling us to. Um, so I'm really excited to take some time um, away from formal pastoring um, uh, to take a lead role during the day with the kids and, and of course have the freedom and space to just process and read and learn and potentially meet new people and visit some other ministries and other churches and, and, and lots of different things. And so I'm really excited for the opportunity for that to happen. Uh, and I'm also really, really excited for Ashley uh, to get the opportunity to go back to work. So I would be more than happy, uh, of course, to talk uh, about more details uh, uh, if anyone has any questions or just obviously if anyone just wants to talk or hang out in general. We're not leaving the city. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We, <laughs> it felt like we've spent the last 10 years trying to get to this point of like living in Columbus and feeling like we're settled and uh, uh, settled in one place. So we're, we're going to be here, planning on being here forever, permanently, I think. Uh, uh, I know God can... Um, lead us in a lot of different directions. So don't be surprised when you see me out and about, um, but I will be, yeah, I will be formally transitioning out of working at Scarlet City uh, two weeks from today. So when this, um, when this sermon goes up, so two weeks from today. So please, 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 please hit me up. Please call me, text me, uh, email me. There's no chance you won't be seeing us around Scarlet City. We'll always have uh, just this wonderful place in our heart and uh, will always kind of be my first full-time uh, pastoring job, and, and, and it will always feel like family uh, to me. So I'm thankful to have been here and very excited for what God is doing here at the church and also uh, excited for what's next and what God will uh, be doing uh, with me and with our family uh, in the future. So interested to see what comes next. So please, there's no secrets. Yeah, there's no, uh, there's no sneaky controversies. There's nothing juicy uh, at least I, uh, I want everyone to know that I, I love you. I love this church. I love 
uh, the pastors and leaders and, and members and, and attenders of this church. I'm really uh, just so thankful for you, and I'm, I'm feeling really, really good about where we're at uh, with things personally and, and just, yeah, immeasurably thankful uh, to the Lord and uh, I'm just feeling very uh, cared for and, um, yeah, loved during this season. So thank you for all of that uh, to God and to all of you. Um, let's pray. Let's, let's end this and, and uh, uh, let's pray. Father, I uh, just thank you for this morning, Lord. We pray that you um, would continue to encourage us with visions like this. Maybe, uh, I doubt that uh, uh, many of us will, will p uh, potentially have visions or revelations that, that look like this, Lord, but we're thankful that it's uh, recorded here, that John recorded it for us to be able to read and experience and uh, uh, for it to, um, yeah, just show us more of who you are and that, of course, affects and, and, and drastically changes who we are and how we view uh, the world and, and ourselves and, and you. So, Lord, we just ask in the midst of uh, a crazy season, uh, election coming in two days, Lord, that just you would be with us, that you would be present with us, um, and that you would um, just continue to bless um, your people, that you would continue to be with your people, encourage them, give them peace, give them safety, uh, uh, give them a sense of security. Let us all understand that you love us and care for us as your own children. We pray all these things uh, in your heavenly name. Amen.